0: So, this episode was recorded with my friend Seth Barnett. And he goes by Bucky Barnett uh, in the music game. And I really wanted to get this episode out before he has his next gig, which we promote on the episode. So, just before you listen, uh, his gig will be at the Pocock Brewery in Santa Clarita. That's at 24907 Avenue Tibbets, um, letter B, in Santa Clarita on January 22nd at 7 p.m. Uh, his name is Bucky Barnett. Look him on Instagram, Bucky Barnett Music. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Let's Grab a Cup Podcast, is where we talk about leadership, authenticity, resiliency. And we provide a place to hold space for one another. I'm your host, Adam Sturgeon. So, why don't you grab a cup of coffee or tea? Or whatever suits you at this moment. Let's dive in. I guess we're live.
1: (laughs) I guess so. All
0: right. Well, uh, welcome to. uh, Let's grab a cup. You're my first official guest Uh on on the show. I'm honored. (laughs) So welcome. Uh, We're talking to uh, Seth Barnett, otherwise known as Bucky. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. Well, thanks for coming over. Yeah. That's actually a good question I never asked you. Where did uh, Bucky come from?
1: Uh, When I was a kid, my mom, um, her grandmother, so my great-grandmother, for whatever reason, called me Bucky, mostly because of my teeth, I think. I had big buck teeth. My mom hated it, but um, as I got older, uh, I liked it. I thought it was funny. I never used it. I never had people call me by it or anything until... I started playing sh- like shows out in public, and I didn't want to use my real name. So I thought, well, I'll use Bucky and see how it goes.
0: <laughs> so you always use Bucky when you play anytime?
1: Yeah. yeah. Only until recently I, I was talking to Jen, and I was like, ah, I think I'm going to go back to just use Seth. It doesn't matter anymore. Like Everybody's going to be able to figure out who I am anyway, so <laughs> it's not that big of a deal.
0: Well, after this, you know, the 17 people that listen to this <laughs> are going <laughs> to know now.
1: Yeah. I mean, when I play a show, everybody who's there knows me as Seth anyway. So it's kind of just not really working the way I wanted it to. So it's, it's
0: no that, big deal. It's interesting. Like, I always think about stage names. Like my kids always want to, well, who would I be if I was like a famous person? Like my stage name. So like, how do you, like, why do you choose a stage name versus your regular, regular name? I think for
1: some people... They just think their name isn't cool, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Um, For me, it was always just about anonymity and not wanting people to know exactly who I was. But I can't really keep doing that if I want anything to come of my music career. So I'll probably just switch over to Seth here in the near future and just hope everything goes (laughs) well.
0: (laughs) I'm sure it will. Well, I was going to say thank you for... You know, doing the intro for all you out there. He's actually um, Bucky Barnett. Seth Barnett is the one that's uh, creating the music for the background of the podcast and the intro. So I appreciate you doing that. Yeah, of course. And um, hopefully we can get some of your music, like some of your tracks on here, too. So everyone else can hear. Yeah. And tune in. For sure. So when did you start playing music?
1: I I started playing the guitar when I was 12. I got my first guitar for Christmas. And um, I played in a band when I was in high school as a guitar player. I got into choir when I was, uh, like, 12 or 13. And I really only did choir because, like, all the cool people at school did choir. And I was like, "Wow, well, I think I'm cool.
0: Um, I feel like that's the opposite of what people think about choir. I mean, normally, no, offense to, no offense to anybody that does choir out there, yeah. but, like, isn't that the, usually the opposite where they show like whether movies or TV or whatever? Yeah, they're like a bunch of nerds, like like
1: that one time at band camp kind of thing. But um, when I at my middle school choir was um, it was an elective, and we got to choose our electives, and all my buddies were in choir, all my buddies I played baseball and football with. So I was like, I guess I'll do it. So I did that in junior high, and going into high school, I knew the choir director. And you had to audition to get in in high school. And I was like, I'm not auditioning. I'm, I'm going to play football and baseball. And, you know, I'm not doing that. So I got my schedule for my first day of school and it had choir on it. I was like, oh, man, this is dumb. So my sister, who was also in choir, was like, just go the first day and see if you like it. And if you don't like it, you can just drop it. So I went the first day and in high school as well, all the cool people, all the popular people were in there. And I was like, well. I know I'm not one of them, but I could hang out with them, I guess. So I decided to stay, and we ended up being, like, nationally ranked and, like, number two in the oh, country. Wow. And So it was it a cool experience. We got to travel and compete. And then I got offered a scholarship for music for college. So I was like, well, I guess if I don't have to pay for school, that's cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, of course, I didn't do that first. I tried to play baseball first, and that didn't really work. So, But, yeah, I've, I've, I didn't really start singing until probably my sophomore year of high school when I started, like, taking it seriously and trying to get better at
0: it. So you played the guitar first and then sang? Yeah. Did choir, was that including, like, all instruments too or just singing? No, choir was just singing, but, like, I just went to class
1: and mimicked everybody around me. I didn't, like, try to be good or anything. I just did whatever they were doing and then my sophomore year um my teacher gave me a solo and I was like oh god I, I'm about to have to start really learning how to do this so my sophomore year I had like a little tiny solo in our competition set then my junior year I had a little bit bigger solo and then my senior year I was like the featured soloist in our competition set
0: wow all right yeah. what was
1: the first so- solo you had to sing I can't remember the chose the Yeah. I can't. I can't remember the name of the song. It was like, uh, it was like a contemporary Christian song that we were doing in our our competition set, and it was like two lines. It was tiny. And then my junior year, I was the f- the soloist for "Staying Alive," like oh, really? by the Bee Gees, yeah. And then uh, my senior year, it was a another Christian contemporary Christian song called Ezekiel saw the wheel. No, I'm sorry, that wasn't it. It was uh. Fly away, I believe. Yeah. But it was an all a cappella song, and I sang the lead, and then the choir sang all
0: like the instrumental parts. So it was cool. That's cool. I couldn't, you couldn't pay me to get on stage when (laughs) I was (laughs) a kid. Absolutely not. I did, uh, I actually did gymnastics when I was little, and I was like three until I think about like eight or something. And then they, they asked. They said, "Okay, you're you're at the top level of like what you can get to at this point. Like, what the next thing is doing this dem, like a uh, demonstration team, demo team, and they said, but you'll have to potentially go to the Dodger Stadium and perform." And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, I quit." <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was nervous the first time I sang in front of people, and then I think about halfway through my junior year, I realized that they probably weren't paying that much attention to me it was the whole choir you know and after that I kind of let go of it didn't really care too much then when I got into college and I started having to do solo recitals as a music major that was nerve-wracking With like a couple of hundred people there and people judging you your scores based on your performance and all that stuff and that got nerve-wracking
0: does it surprise you that our kids were dancing? Like, they dance on stage and get judged, and they're potentially like, kind of perfectly fine with it, like, to, to for the most part? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't have done that at their age. There's no, no way I would have been too nervous and
1: probably thrown up before we went on stage. And, but um, I don't know. I, at least watching our girls, it just doesn't seem to phase them very
0: much. Yeah, I think we're more nervous than they are when they go on stage. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So then how did the transition? So for uh, those of you who don't know, obviously, um, so Seth is uh, in law enforcement. He works for a sheriff's department in L.A. And um, just the transition from going from music, baseball, sports, and deciding, well, how do you get from there to eventually law enforcement? I'm sure there was a big transition there.
1: Yeah. I mean, growing up, my high school football coach was a police officer. And I always looked up to him. He's a really good guy and always talked about how much he loved the job and stuff. So that kind of planted the seed when I was like 14, 15 and I always thought it would be cool, but I always had the dream of playing music and playing baseball. So I was like, well, I'll go pursue these things while I'm young. And if it doesn't work out, then I can always try to become a police officer. So I was doing all that stuff. And then my sister passed away and, we were sort of left like answerless. We, we had no answers right. as to what exactly happened and nobody was held accountable and watching, you know, my mom and my brothers and my dad and how everything was handled was, you know, it, it was hard on everybody. So I, at that point was like, well, if I'm going to go into law enforcement, now I have the right motivation to do it instead of just, you know, because I want to do it. So I went into it with the attitude of I just want to even if I don't prevent something like that from happening, which we're never going to always be able to prevent those things. But if I could be the person there to try to help comfort a family going through that or give them answers or, you know, just be a shoulder to lean on and have somebody there. uh, I just decided that that was something I wanted to do. So
0: how old were you when that happened? I was twenty two. So it's a pivotal age, like big turning point. Yeah. Yeah. So now like you've been in law enforcement, how long now? 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. I mean, third of your life or so. Yeah. A little, a little bit less, little but bit less. close. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's been good. I've enjoyed it. I'm, um, you know, in, in the career path I'm on, I haven't really had a, the opportunity to necessarily be what I wanted to be in, in law enforcement, but I've handled things different ways that because of my life experience I'm able to talk to people empathetically and and not necessarily put myself in their shoes because everybody goes through different situations but at least understand partly what they're going through and and treat people with respect and you know I don't have to ramp it up most of the time because I I use my verbal judo pretty well but you know I'm you know, we've all used force. We've all had to be there, but you know, I, I like to think that I can talk my way out of force most of the time. Not always, but most of the time. And I think that just comes from my life experiences and dealing with the ups and downs of what I've been through. That I can usually find a way to um, associate with whoever I'm talking to and kind of bring it to their level, so that we can kind of calm the situation down a little bit. Yeah. So I kind of have a little bit of a reputation at work for being the guy who they call when somebody's irate and they can't calm them down. So, you know, I, I just use things I've been trained on and a lot of guys and girls maybe don't like to use it because I don't know, I'm not sure why, but when you get trained in de-escalation techniques for whatever reason, there was some hesitance from people and, uh, you know, it is what it is. I've seen every every person I work with, I've seen use it. So I, I know they use it. I just, there was some hesitation from some people. As far as learning it, you mean? Or I'm actually probably impl- applying it. it, yeah. Yeah, probably applying it. Just because in, in certain environments, I don't know if they're afraid people are going to be like, oh, you're, you know, too soft.
0: But... I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, well, that's the way that law enforcement, I mean, honestly, like all law enforcement is going that direction. You can't, yeah, you can't just go and use force. We know this, but yeah. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we were taught completely differently on how to engage. And, um, you kind of get like your life experience and having that, when you start, I think is different than most people because, um, like for me, I haven't started similar age as you, but, I didn't have that similar like life experience, and those things happened where I had was drawing on, and I think we we unlearn a lot in the academy, and they teach us like I think at the time it was like ask them, once tell them, and then make them ATM right yeah. yeah and now it's it's not you're not a, it's no it's not ask them tell them make them we have you have to do whatever you can to avoid that use of force yeah. if possible what well, obviously not within reason yeah you're not going to like jeopardize officer safety or safety of other people but I mean you I mean as far as you and I are concerned we go to some type of incident the idea of what can we do to prevent this from happening yeah and so it's completely different so having that wherewithal like way early on is going to be different and you're probably young like taking that on and that perception of like you said is he soft because he's handling this way I mean, you're technically, you're ahead of the game. Well, I mean, I don't know if I would necessarily look at it that way. I I just
1: think um, really early on in my career, I had one of my mentors tell me, remember that every time you come in contact with somebody, it's probably the worst day of their life. And that just, for whatever reason, stuck with me. And that's sort of the mentality I go into every situation with is, if they had to call the police or if the police are responding to something that they're dealing with, it chances are it's one of the worst days of their life. So if I can somehow ease that tension and make it not the worst day of their life, then I might as well try. And if it doesn't work out because of reasons beyond my control, well, then it is what it is. But I, you know, I feel like I have that responsibility to try to maintain some sort of calmness and Rationality to a situation, so I just try to go into it with that mentality, and hopefully it works. No, yeah. I'm sure, and <laughs> I'm
0: sure it's working more often than not. I mean, really, I think so.
1: I mean, most situations I've been in in the last couple of years have been handled pretty easily and no big deal. Um, you know, I've had to use force, but not, not to an extent where it was like dangerous for anybody. It was just somebody who we had to use force on and we did as little as we had to. And that was it. And, you know, even the times I've had to use, well, one was rescue force. So I I shouldn't even probably include that one. You know, it's like, like, I I don't, I'm not going to feel bad for saving some guy by using force on him. Right. You know, and he ended up getting the help he needed and he's good now. But the other time there was really just no other option. You know, he was putting too many people in, in jeopardy and potentially gonna hurt another officer, so you know it is what it is. Yeah, we did everything we could leading up to that. We talked to him for two hours, and then it just reached a boiling point, and he was done listening. And you know, it is what it is. We've we've all
0: been through it. Yeah, I was gonna say something when you were talking about the idea of like uh like learning techniques or unlearning things that we were taught earlier on. Um do you feel that it's difficult or I guess I should ask, how do you feel? Like, how do you feel like when the idea of let's say a law changes or a policy changes and they take away a tool or you now have to, you know, think about how certain laws apply to using certain types of force because the law completely continually changes. So the idea of unlearning or relearning as you're going and to like actively think of those things when you're, when you're in an incident you know how does that how does that affect you or how do you how do you teach that or deal with that when you're you know your work right now
1: yeah I mean I've been pretty lucky in my 10 years that that hasn't happened too much they've I mean right now I guess starting January 1st things change pretty drastically because of a new uh, state assembly bill but that's mostly for like protests and things like that what we can and can't use and when we can and can't I think just being easily adaptable and making sure you're up to date on stuff is really what I kind of preach to my guys and and you know being in a supervisory role making sure all my guys understand what's changed and what we can and can't do and making sure that they have access to what has changed so that they can read it and let them know that if they have questions, they can come to me and we can talk about it. Cause a lot of times, you know, that wording is so confusing that it takes a couple of guys to go over it and go, no, I think it means this because earlier in the bill, it says this or whatever it is.
0: Right. Well, I mean, we have, we've had discussions um, in our squad meetings or afterwards about an incident and how we handled it. And then say like, well, people disagree. I mean, you, we are, Having a discussion or, or disagreement about the law, the policy, and can we do X, Y, or Z? So there's let's say twenty people, and there's let's say five different opinions on whether or not we can or can't do something. So it's it's very interesting. You're right, like the, how the law is written, or what's written before, or after, like can we do this? Can we enter the building? Can we not? Do we need to write a warrant? Do we not? You know? Yeah. But it's all this this discussion, and then going okay, well, our policy states this this is how I'm interpreting the law, which is kind of crazy. If you think about it, like yeah. interpreting the law versus being very clear and then applying it to field work or your, your daily duties and making sure you don't make a mistake. That's detrimental to anybody, whether it's the person that you're trying to apprehend yourself, your fellow officers or the department, you know? Yeah. And you're held liable. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. Yeah, it is.
1: And, you know, I, I think a lot of the confusion, at least for our department, comes in the form of policy when people read it and it says, you know, whatever you shall, blah, 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 or you may, blah, blah, blah. Well, let's, we got to clear that up because I know shall means you have to, but some guys read may and they think that's the same thing as shall. Well,
0: that's funny because everyone that reads may at our department is, that means you don't have to well that's the way i
1: look at it yeah
0: you know it's it's you you can you can or you, you yeah and there's even like a should like there are shoulds which means that most of the time you should do this but if something else happens that causes you not to do it you know it's like yeah I, I the mean, language you're right the language is very in and out. and right now we're even dealing with like like body cameras and yeah you shall turn it on this time well you should or, you, you know, if unless officer safety um, dictates otherwise and then people are hit or miss and whether they turn them on and now they're getting in trouble for not turning them on and late activations and all types of stuff. So, yeah, it's a lot of, like, nuances to the policies. Yeah. And I'm,
1: I think that's probably been a problem since the existence of law enforcement, you know. And there's, gonna, there's always going to be guys on the department that were around when something was different and they're hesitant to the change. And we're 90% type A personalities, so... You know, you tell somebody with a type A personality, like, hey, the way you've been doing that, you can't do it anymore. They're going to be like, uh, why? Because it's worked for 15 years. So there's always going to be guys that are hesitant to to accept change and try to do things differently. And I've been fairly lucky in terms of what has changed hasn't affected me that much. You know, I mean, I've always kind of handled things the way I handle them now. So I haven't had to deal with too much change. Now, if they were to tell me next week, like, "Hey, you can't use your taser anymore," like that would be a big deal for me.
0: I mean, why carry it then? Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, it's we're g- getting pretty there. to that point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're getting yeah, there. right. Uh, I know that we've one thing that did affect me. We changed our flashlight policy while I was on, and cool. I never used my. What f- was it? Was it? What so was it change. We had to go from. The metal, you know, streamlight, the big mag light looking streamlight, we had to downsize. And if it was over six inches, it had to be plastic. And like, I never used my flashlight for force or anything, but just having that flashlight was like, I'm used to this flashlight. So that was, I know it sounds trivial, but that was probably the biggest change for me was like, man, I got this puny little flashlight. (laughs) But, you know.
0: Well, I mean, that we part of our policy is having an impact weapon, at least re- right now the way the policy is written, having impact weapon. You have to have an impact weapon. And we carry a baton. But if you have a flashlight or a SAP, um, it would count as your impact weapon. I think the policy is getting revamped. But as far as how it's written really right now, that's how, that's how we've been using it. And then, yeah, you're right. Like, to change to a small flashlight and being like, well, how is this going to be an impact weapon? Yeah. Like, that doesn't really... It wouldn't work. And then, okay, so now, I mean, to each his own as far as like how they need to use um, their tools. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. The policies are going to change continually. And yeah. I think our thing is going back to a more stricter policy, but it hasn't come out yet. So we'll see. Yeah, I think, do you guys carry expandable batons or do you have to carry the PR24? No, neither. Ours are a straight stick. It's a... Is 29-inch. Like the old-school wooden ones? Yeah, straight 29-inch. No. I think it's like 29-inch hickory is what it was. But now I think at the time, for a while, it's been, uh, we have uh, diamond wood batons, but they're straight um, sticks. There's no, they're not the, what did you say what the other ones were? The The PR. PR-24. Yeah, no, we don't care those. Really? And then we weren't allowed, someone, they they tested the expandable ones. And I think like after one use of ours, they were like, nope by the too devastating. I, I guess. guess. I don't know.
1: I mean, they, they, they are pretty crazy. If you hit somebody in the right spot, it's, pretty, yeah, no, can be pretty bad. I mean,
0: I'll be honest with you. I don't want to use a baton. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't look good. If you see, I mean, okay. So obviously everyone is videotaping everything. We're body camming everything. Um, regardless, force in general never looks good. You know, I mean, we're told like these are the parameters on how you use force. We have to get the person in custody. He's not cooperating. We've given him warnings. We've done everything we can, and now we're using force. But if you use certain types of force, it will never look good. Yeah. And one of them is the baton. I don't think it ever looks good. Yeah. I mean, force is ugly. Right. That's that's one thing
1: that, like, I wish I could get across to my friends and family that aren't in law enforcement. Like, I know you're watching and it looks bad, but if you use ineffective force it looks like excessive force right so if you're using not enough force that's gonna look bad so if you come in and use effective force it's gonna be ugly but it's gonna be done quicker and more effectively and it'll be over instead of you know like a baton use let's say you pull your baton out you hit somebody in like the shin And it doesn't affect them. And then you just decide I'm going to hit them five or six more times. Well, that looks terrible instead of, Oh, it didn't work. Let me put this away and go to something else, which in the heat of the moment, a lot of guys aren't going to think, let me put this away and go to
0: something else. Well, how about if you don't hit them hard enough? I mean, honestly, let's let's say you, if let's say your intention is to strike them in the leg because they're kicking or whatever, and you need to get them to stop. And you're going to say, okay, I'm going to strike them one time with a baton. I strike them in the leg. But it, you don't strike them hard enough, and they continually kick, and it didn't cause them to stop. And then you're right; you're hitting them multiple times. It looks terrible, but you're not hitting them hard necessarily. It's yeah. just that it looks really bad, and they're they're still they're still fighting or resisting in whatever manner they're doing it. But using it in effective effective manner, whatever the force is, yeah, it would be. You know, obviously, it would work better. Yeah, and I I, I think. Oh,
1: there's a lot of misconceptions in the public about how we decide what force to use, you know, I'm they think like, Oh, well, you know, this was too high. They should have started here. Well, I, I didn't start there because if that didn't work, then I would eventually have to go to where I started from right. and then it would look like excessive force. So you may think, Oh, he shouldn't have tased that guy, but I tased him and it was over and I didn't have to hit him. There was no broken bones, no, Dislocated elbows or shoulders. He got tased. It sucked for five seconds and now it's over. So I just think there's a lot of misconception about what police officers should do when the people that are making those decisions have never been in that situation.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, there's a, I think the taser itself, I think, is a great tool. Yeah. But they're taking, they, I'm saying they, but like the political parties are taking away power of using the, or the ability to use the taser effectively because it's going to only be almost to a point of like deadly force situation. We're almost getting to that point, but it's a less than less than lethal option, which incapacitates somebody locks them up and gives you the ability to handcuff them. And is a great tool if you can use it, but if you can't use it, then what is your option? Okay. If I can't use a taser to stop this fight and then I'm going to hit him with a baton and it ends up being multiple baton strikes. It's
1: going to break his arm. Yeah.
0: It's like, okay, well the taser would have ended the fight. You know, a minute before, and we could be all safe and sound. But yeah. now we're now people are injured. The suspect could be injured, and everything could you know be more escalated. Yeah.
1: Same thing I feel about the carotid. I mean, oh yeah. If you're that's the thing though. I think at least on my department, I don't think it get trained. It gets trained enough, so a lot of guys are scared to do it, which I understand. If you're scared to do it, don't do it. But if you do your if you get outside training on your own and you're effective at using the carotid restraint it's a really valuable tool and to take that away from somebody i'm never going to use it now because now it's changed on our department to deadly force scenario
0: oh yeah i would say you can't you can't use it yeah you said deadly force yes
1: i'm not using the carotid if it's deadly force there's no way i'm not going to get that close to somebody if it's deadly force i mean unless we're in a fight for your life yeah, yeah but in that case i'm like i'm gonna pull my backup out and like if it's deadly force, right. I'm not using the karate.
0: Like, yeah, it's interesting. So I mean, I have used the karate in the field a few times before the change of the law, and obviously we in policy we can't use it anymore. And it was effective, and it was where the incidents required it because every other use of force option had been tried, and this is going to stop the fight. Yeah, and I mean, I asked earlier about the idea of like could you unlearning something. Well, I'm a supervisor now, so the likelihood of me getting any use of force is, is diminished extremely. But um even in front of somebody who I know is gonna be able to outpower me and if I'm like, Okay, if this turns ugly, I need to internally tell myself you cannot use the carotid because it because I've done it in the past and it's worked, I have to tell myself you cannot do this. Yeah. You know, because now you're breaking the law. You cannot use it. Yeah. And I have to tell myself over and over again, don't, okay, what are the other options I can use now? And my first option is always like, can I talk this guy down? I do not want to get new force to this person. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it's, it's just crazy how things have changed so much. Yeah. Unlearning something is hard to do.
1: <laughs> it's hard to, to have been using a certain tool or a certain technique for 10, 15 years. And then suddenly they're like, Hey, don't do that anymore. And you're like, Hey, I'm going 10, eight today. Like, you right. want me to not use it today.
0: So. And the reason behind it is has nothing to do with the actual carotid restraint. That the reason that it was taken away was because of something completely different. It wasn't the carotid. That was, why, it was the reason it was taken away. Yeah, that was a straight chokehold. That wasn't a carotid restraint. Yeah. I mean, no one would say someone's leg or knee on a neck is a carotid restraint.
1: No, but I think it was more the, um, it was in New York. God, what was that guy's name? I feel bad that I can't remember his name. But that's he was okay. like selling cigarettes on the street. Oh. And NYPD came up. I think it was a plain clothes NYPD guy. And that was a straight forearm across the throat though. And then that's not even what ended up killing him. The guy had a heart attack. But that was the case that kind of started the carotid okay. uh, discussion. The our, de- our department did change the way we do um, felony arrests now because of the um, George Floyd incident. So we used to teach in the prone position, right? Your knee across the shoulder, top of their shoulder. shoulder we yeah, we don't do that anymore. So how because it, how it looks it. like it's across their neck on film. Yeah, so we have, in,
0: we have to actively explain that we're not putting any pressure on the back. Yeah, Even, because it's really not. Your all your weight is on your back feet. Yeah. You're so what is what's the difference now?
1: We just come at a different angle and put your basically you're just putting all your weight on your own leg so you're kind of seated on your the back of your heel right but you have the position of advantage if he tries to wiggle you can just drop like your upper body weight on his back but they just they're not really sure what they want to teach us they're just trying to get us away from putting any weight on their back at all so it, you know it it's it's a large department so trying to teach that many people a new technique is going to take some time
0: yeah, and I, and I think the problem is that we are teaching stuff in the academy that, let's say, we have a AOTC, which is a training that we take every once every uh, trimester. I don't know if you guys do the same thing.
1: Uh, we have, like,
0: a couple of different trainings that we have to do multiple times a year. Yeah. There's just, like, refreshers and same. things like that. So this, when they teach us stuff in the academy, whether it, when it's arrested control techniques, and when you ask questions of, okay, well, this could potentially look like a use of force like that doesn't make sense now as a supervisor i'm looking at everything as a supervisor point of view like okay well i'm gonna have to take a use of force my guys have to report use of force because of the way you're teaching this versus if we didn't do x y and z it wouldn't be use of force and then the answer is well all of the brass went through this and they said this is how they want it done and i said but when i when my officer tells them we used force on this guy and he didn't do anything that would cause a use of force. They're going to hammer him. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense. Like, what do you mean? It doesn't make sense. Like I don't, the inconsistency is outrageous. Yeah. Well, a
1: lot of that I'm assuming, I don't know this, but I'm assuming a lot of it has to do with lawsuit and liability and payout stuff like that. I, I know for our department, we've gone through a lot of, scrutiny for what like the preemptive use of force what caused the use of force right the use of force could be totally good but they may go well you did this before it and that's why there was force and it's like what, what are you talking about the guy looked at me he said this we did that and then the use of force happened They're like well you could have just ignored him
0: yeah okay b- before during and after is what they're saying yeah yeah
1: So, and there's been instances that I've seen that like legit, I'm like, yeah, that was bad, dude. Why'd you do that? That was stupid. But then there's also instances where they're getting fanged for something and I'm watching it or, you know, watch the video or read the report and I'm like, this is not a big deal. Why are we fanging this guy for this? So there's a lot of scrutiny going on with any use of force.
0: Yeah. I think the CYA part is like when I have someone above me reads a use of force and then it's like, well, let's. Let's just talk to him. And I say, well, did he do anything wrong? Well, no, technically, there's no policy. He didn't do anything wrong, but let's just say we talked to him about it because it doesn't look good, which just to say, oh my God. Well, I that's don't. so when that person above that person right. says,
1: what'd you do? Oh, well, we exactly. counseled them. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I know that we're, get, we're having the same issue in our department where it's like, hey, let's just send them to training. Well, why? You didn't do anything wrong. Well, because when so and so comes and looks at it, we can say, well, we sent him to training well, he didn't do anything wrong. And they're like, yeah, well, he's got to go to the training eventually anyway.
0: I'm like, yeah, well, okay. I don't know. I think I'm, I'll be, I mean, this sounds bad. Okay, I signed up to tan, to deal with bad guys on the street, right? Like, you want to go make arrests, take people to jail, like you said. Like, hey, th- there's a certain reason why I wanted to be a police officer. Yeah. And now I think maybe, maybe it's the position I'm in. I don't know if it's across the board, but I feel like I have more um, stress on me because of administration, uh public perception and political, you know issues than I do the actual public. You know, whether that's good, bad, or indifferent, like dealing with the public, I would do that all day. But when it's the back end of it, the administration is where I that's where it all my shoulders stress is. Yeah, I think a lot of guys and girls probably feel that way because
1: that's like your livelihood could be taken from you in like an instant because somebody thinks you did something wrong. And then suddenly you have no way to support your family. You know, it's that, that worries me too. It's like, I I can deal with bad guys. That doesn't bother me. Like not to say that I'm like, Oh, you know, bad, like I'm a tough guy, but you know, you just get to a certain point where it's like, okay, I've dealt with this before. Yeah. I I know know what to do. I know my tools. You got it. I'll take care of it. And then the, the scary part is like, man, if I do one thing wrong, I could be out of here. And then what do I do? So I I think a lot of guys are dealing with that kind of stress and I don't think, I don't think enough of them are talking about it probably, but yeah, I I think, I think that's a big problem in law enforcement in general.
0: I think that one thing I've been doing and I don't know what your team looks like as far as when you have, how many people are on your team? Uh, I don't, I don't really have a team. Well, you supervise
1: people yeah. on the floor, right? How many people do you usually see? A lot. See? <laughs> A lot like. like, because the position I'm in now, I'm I'm not actively on the line all the time. So I'm more of like administrative, making sure everybody gets their training and gets briefed on new policies and things like that. So I'm technically in charge of like 200 people. Oh, well, wow. But... uh you know, I'm not always on the same shift as them or whatever.
0: So you see, um, layers like, or is there a group of people that you would see regularly that you cons- consistently see? Yeah. Or no. Yeah.
1: There's, there's certain people that I see all the time that, you know, I know are like, I guess my go-to if there's a situation. Right. Cause at, at any given time, at least for us right now, there's like, I don't know, 40 of us eight at the same time so when there's a situation I've, i know that there's certain people that will always be involved because they're active and they like to work and then there's 10 or 15 people that i know will be somewhere else because they don't want to be involved it's always
0: some <laughs> yeah. that same yeah. percentage i think everywhere yeah
1: so but yeah i mean there's there's guys that i know keep up to date and like come to me when they have questions and want to be active and learn and do everything they can to be as good as they can. And then I know there are people that like probably haven't read a policy update in five or six years and don't really care. So, I mean, I'm, I try to get them up to date. I do what I can. I stop by, talk to them personally. Like, Hey, did you see this brief? Like the, this policy got updated. Like, Oh yeah, yeah, I read it. I can only go so far. Um, I'm not going to, like, press the issue with somebody and then cause, like, an issue between that person and myself. Right. So, you know, uh, if it comes down to it, I'll have to be like, hey, man, you told me you knew the policy. Like, I came and asked you. You read that brief. I have a receipt that says you read that brief. So now it's on you. Yeah. Is it electronic? Yeah. Yeah, same. So, I mean, I do... uh, do everything I can to make sure people know what's going on and are up to date on their training and that they're ready for anything. But they're with that many people. It, 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 I can only do so much without like overextending and then like totally ruining whatever ca- type of
0: outside life I have. Yeah. I know. that's why I think that right now, like the, my outside life, is merging with, like, what I want to do professionally, you know, like, as yeah. far as, like, taking care of, you know, the people around me. And um, um for you, I know music is really important yeah. and, like, circling going back to that. But, like, so you have 200 people technically are technically responsible for it. They have to know policy and do all these things. Um, the administration has, is probably checking in, like, hey, have these people done what they need to do? And with all the stuff going on every day, and I'm sure you're working, like, between four and six days a week, depending on overtime. Yeah what do you do for yourself and i know music is big so what are you doing continuously for yourself to take care of yourself yeah i mean obviously music is a big thing um
1: the gym for me is a really good release like i i don't consciously think about the gym being a release but i i realize it later like an hour after i work out i'm like oh man i'm i'm a lot more relaxed than i was before i went to the gym or whatever but like just spending time with my kids is a huge relief for me. Like I don't really get to see them that much because of work. So when I do get to spend time with them, I just try to be as invested as I can in like that time with them and unplug as best as I can. And, um, I don't know. I mean, most of my like close friends have been my close friends since I was a kid. So seeing those guys usually helps me unplug a little bit. We do a, A guys camping trip every year just like a core group of like five or six of us that have known each other since we were 10 11 that's cool and we just spend two and a half days talking about everything and sitting around the campfire and that's usually a chance for like all of us to kind of let loose with what's been going on and what's been bothering us or what's been weighing heavy on us or whatever and it's like a group therapy session kind of thing it's cool
0: I feel like people, they everybody feels like they're able to like speak openly and be be free in that, you know, that atmosphere. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's a, there's
1: always at least, I would say, one person every camping trip that like really needed it, and we just try to focus all our energy on that person that trip and do the best we can to let them know that like we're there for them and whatever they need will be there and that kind of thing. So and it's been, all of us have had. One of those trips where it's just like, man, I needed this so bad right now. So I think it's been 11 years we've been doing it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because I remember the second one, I was in the academy. So maybe 12 years. Are these guys from work, outside of work? Outside. Okay. Yeah. Um, One of the guys that has started coming recently is on the department, but everybody else is is, uh, outside. And I've known them since I was, I don't know, 11, something like that.
0: It's probably good to have um, other things to talk about other than law enforcement. I know that we talked about that today, but like to have something else to talk about. Yeah. You know, hear their stories because, I mean, everybody has like different perspectives on, you know, the world. And we have, I feel like, really one core perspective that we have to try to get out of when we're yeah. not in law enforcement. Yeah. I think that's been –
1: actually, that's a good point because it's easy for us in law enforcement to hear other people's problems and be like, bro, like, that's what your problem is? That's what you're dealing with and you're worried about it? But knowing those guys as well as I do and hearing their stressors and their things that they're going through, like, I know it stresses them out. And, like, maybe to me it's not a big deal, but obviously to them it is. So it it just – puts me in a different mindset and makes it easier for me to understand other people's problems and realize that their perspective is different than mine. And maybe if that was happening to me, it wouldn't be a big deal, but that doesn't change the fact that it's a big deal for them. So.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even think in, in our job, like people, most of the stress like you say is either internal in the organization or at home. You know, I don't think yeah. that a lot of the stuff we do day to day. Yeah. I think that it adds up in certain. Yeah. We can have critical incidents that definitely cause certain stressors, Yeah, but the, the compounding stress that we have is usually it's outside or within the organization. I don't believe that it's, I don't believe that it's out necessarily doing your day to day. But everything, something can affect you, whether it's at home or at work different than it's going to affect me. Yeah. And knowing that, like, Hey, that maybe I'm going to look at you and say or early on, I would look at you and say like, well, why is that a big deal? But it is like to you, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and I think that we just understanding that if you just take time to listen to someone and hear them Yeah. and be like, okay, well, how can I help you? Like, what can I, can, is there anything I can do? And maybe it's just sitting there and listening. Maybe there's just really nothing you can do, but just like, Hey, I need to get it off my chest. I think the most I think part of me at least is like the idea of like when you talk about something, just saying it out loud or reinforcing something. Okay, that made me feel better about my decision or where I'm going, or you know, yeah, that, you for know, sure. Thank you for li- like thank you for listening, kind of thing. You know, that's what I needed today.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of times for me, when I get to that point and I know I need to like let something out, whether it's work or you know something else, um, just knowing that somebody else knows. Like, okay, I've gotten to a point where I'm okay with telling somebody that this is bothering me. And now it's like just that little bit of I'm not the only one who knows that this is bothering me now helps release a little bit of that tension. You know, nine times out of ten, whoever I'm talking to is somebody that's close to me. Right. And when they hear it, they usually have some pretty good words of advice. But in the rare instance that they don't, there's still a little bit of that release of like, okay, well, I let it out. I heard myself say it out loud. So now there's just a little bit of weight
0: released, letting it out, you know? Yeah. I think what's important too, is to know that if you, if someone comes to you and says something in whatever manner it is, um, they're trusting you with that information, whether, whether it's public information or not. I mean, maybe something everybody everybody knows, but the idea of like, Hey, they want to talk to you about it and it's okay. And it's probably imperative that we continually check in. You know, when you see that person again, it's not just the, pass by hey hey what's up hey what's up it's like hey you check in like hey how is everything going in that area that you you know whatever it was was affecting you Um, one thing I learned a while back um, is through uh, my wife's family that they had a tragedy and one of the things that uh, her cousin told me was that we are always going to be thinking about this tragedy regardless of if you bring it up or not so it was it's if you check in on us that's okay like, and even specifically to this this incident, right? And so I think I've held on to that, and I, I know when someone deals with something that they're not not they're not going to stop thinking about this yeah. just because I don't bring it up. So acknowledging it almost like it helps people feel seen in a way, like hey, I I know that you may be going through something, and then if you not, you don't have to talk about it right now, but if you ever want to, I'm here. Yeah. So I think I don't know. I think that's important.
1: Yeah. I th- you know, and that's funny that you bring that up because. I don't think I really considered that until recently because like two years ago I went to a new unit of assignment and you know, I didn't know anybody there. So the first six to eight months or so I had to tell my sister's story like every other day. Cause somebody would be like, Hey, I heard about your sister. What happened? And then I tell the story every once in a while. Somebody would be like, Hey man, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. And I'm like, no, I, I think about her all the time anyway. It doesn't, like telling the story doesn't like bother me. In fact, sometimes it's like, oh, well, I got to tell my sister's story today, so somebody got to hear it, you know? And, uh, So, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because I've told the story more times than I can count. And over the last couple of years, like still to this day, every once in a while, somebody will come in and be like, hey, I heard something happened to your sister. What happened? And, you know, nobody's ever said that they feel bad for asking. Right. Which I don't expect them to. They shouldn't feel bad. Um, but I think that what you mentioned, I didn't really put it together until you just said it because it never bothered me. And I think my my wife was like, man, doesn't it suck when people ask about her all the time? I'm like, Nah, not really. But now that you mentioned that, that makes a lot of sense. Like I, I think about her all the time anyway, so it doesn't really matter if somebody asks
0: what happened. Yeah, it's still going to affect you. Yeah. I mean, you're... You're welcome. I know you told me the story before. You're welcome to tell the story here, unless you didn't want to. That's up to you. Uh, we can do it another time. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's I kind of it's a long story. I know it is a long. Yeah, story. We,
0: hey, we can we can save that for like a, like a teaser for a different episode. Yeah, yeah, we we can talk about it another yeah. time. I know it's I know it's you know gonna take some emotion from you. So yeah, I mean, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but I I mean we're at like oh it's pretty long we did a long little episode here yeah, like forty eight minutes yeah, you so cut it good. into two episodes. Dude. <laughs> Uh, well I appreciate you being here and talking about all the stuff. I I know we're gonna do more episodes. So I do yeah, like yeah. this. Um so let's talk about you real quick about your music. So okay. I know you have some shows coming up. Yeah you have one. a show coming yeah, up. We have one in January, yeah. So where is that show gonna be? And I honestly be uh, this episode may air after. Yeah, that's fine. So because I'm trying to like this isn't my first technical guest. So <laughs> I'm trying to get a couple people before. Yeah. We're here. So it might air after. Uh it's
1: on January twenty second and it's at Pocock Brewery in Santa Clarita.
0: So you play... Is this the first time playing there? Yeah. Okay. I haven't seen that establishment. Is Me it? neither. Oh, you haven't uh, seen no,
1: it? <laughs> I've been in there once. I, I went in there one time to buy beer, and it was tiny, but I guess recently they expanded. Okay. So they've got like a pizzeria and then the brewery, so it's like a restaurant and brewery now. All right. Um.
0: Well, how do you spell it?
1: P-O-C-O-C-K.
0: Pocock. Oh, Pocock. Okay. Um, so people want to... Yeah. Go there. I mean,
1: it, It's on my Instagram at Bucky Barnett Music. So, uh, yeah, I've got flyers on there and stuff.
0: All right, cool. And then you've, so you, are you have you played it since, uh, you were playing at Wolf Creek Brewery. Yeah. But they've changed to Lucky Luke Brewery. Have you played since they changed?
1: No. Um,
0: I know when you played last time, it was like the day they were changing. It was like the week yeah. they were changing. Yeah. Uh, I guess apparently they're going to use the same
1: person to book. So the woman knows who I am. Okay. But I don't think that they've fully transitioned enough to like have live music. All right. So it may just be a little while before they have people come again.
0: That's always a good spot. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I want to get one of your tracks and we can play it on here. I don't know if we can play on this episode or a different one. And then we'll definitely try to record another one about, and you can talk about your sister story. I know it's, it's, uh, happened a while ago, but it's super interesting. And, um, it did pivotal for you as far as yeah. where you decided to become in law enforcement. Yeah. So um, that'll be interesting for if people are interested in hearing that um, as always, uh, like I said, appreciate Seth coming on. And if you listen to the outro music, that's his music. And then we'll put it on um, this, uh, attach it to these episodes. You can find me at, at let's grab a cup or at AP underscore sturgeon um, and at sturgeonwellness.com. And then you can find uh, Seth here. What was your uh, handle again? Bucky Barnett Music
1: on Instagram
0: and on YouTube. Cool. Thanks cool. for having me, man. Yeah, was cool. Thanks. This is fun. Yeah, I'll do it again. All right. So thank you to Bucky Barnett for coming out and talking to me on the podcast. You can find me at Let's Grab a Cup or Let's Grab a Cup com. I'm going to have these podcast episodes up there. You can also find Bucky at Bucky Barnett Music, which is on Instagram. And um, yeah, he'll be playing at Pocock Brewery on January 22nd. So hope you all enjoyed this episode. Have a great day.